Well, good morning. Praise the Lord for psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that prepare us to hear what God has to say to us today. We don't have to look too far to find out what He has to say. We only need to open the Bible. And we find out what our God has to say today. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. This will be our scripture text today. We're going to talk about God's faithfulness and the security of our souls. Hebrews chapter 6. And the Bible says, beginning in verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final or for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly To the heirs of promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as our forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Much of our lives revolves around building some semblance of security into our lives. We all desire to have a home that provides a shelter, that provides protection from the destructive elements in both nature and society. We all think about this, don't we? We want insurance policies that safeguard against unforeseen tragedies. We don't know what's going to happen next. We all have bank accounts and we pray that there's enough resources to take care of us when we have a need. How's your bank account look? I see some of you think, well, I don't know if I'm going to be taken care of or not. We seek relationships that give us comfort. Yet I think all of us will admit this morning that in the back of our minds, we realize that all of these things can be taken from us in a moment. We think about an illness. We think about a business adventure. We think about a business failure. We think about an automobile accident. Life is fragile. And we long to secure that kind of security that we will have And we want that security to stretch beyond the possibilities that actually maybe crouch just around life's next corner. We know it's a real possibility. Do you know that money and homes and positions and even people are transitory? Uh, it It can't supply for us lasting stability. None of those things can. However, our passage presents to you this morning... A security that is anchored in the eternal realities found in the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where a truth-telling God encourages us by giving oaths. Have you ever thought about our God's track record? Pretty solid, isn't it? It is. It is absolutely impeccable. And our God is a God of integrity. 
He is a God that has endless resources. Way more than you have in your bank account. I guarantee you of that. And he gives us a never-ending future. And all of that is based on a superior stability that only God, the Father, and the Son can offer you this morning. It's a stability given to us from the Lord. So let me get you in context. One of the dangers of dropping into a book of the Bible is that you're not in the context and flow of the Bible, right? So I have to kind of labor a little more to help you see the context when I'm dropping into a book. That's why I preach books of the Bible, so that we don't have to worry about context and dropping into a book. We know what the flow is. But beginning in chapter 5, verse 11, the writer takes a detour. He's been laboring to preach and teach the high priestly function of Jesus Christ, which is absolutely essential in order for you to be saved. He had to be the perfect high priest, having never sinned. And so he's laboring to do that. He wants to teach on the topic of Christ's high priestly function. But then all of a sudden, he begins to warn us concerning spiritual maturity or immaturity in chapter 5, verse 11. You've read these verses. Well, you, you ought to be teachers. But in reality, you're in need of being taught again the elementary principles of the faith. You've got to go back to the ABCs because you're not progressing in your faith. So he warns them about spiritual immaturity. So this passage that we're in today, 13 through 20, is kind of, uh, it is the, it is the on-ramp to get out of that discussion of spiritual immaturity and apostate people who leave the faith. Notice I said apostate people who actually leave the faith. And then he talks a little bit about fruitfulness, meaning this. If you're saved, you'll produce fruit. If you're lost, it'll be thorns and thistles. You'll see that a little down beginning in around verse 7 in chapter 6. So he's going to move from... Uh, responsibility on our part to show you that in actuality your salvation is held secure by God's faithfulness. The security of your soul is accomplished by the Father's promise and the Savior's priesthood. So it's important for us to think about this. He's going to drop a name in there that causes Baptists to say, what in the world is Melchizedek? Who is this guy? Well, I'm not preaching on Melchizedek today. But the fact is, uh, he was the only one that is recorded in the Bible that was both a king and a priest, which in Israelite terminology was impossible. You couldn't serve as both. But yet Melchizedek, as a priest and king of Salem, did those things, which is a precursor to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is prophet, priest, and king, right? So the writer will place a major emphasis upon human actions in this little detour he starts in 511. But when you get to 6.13, his focus moves back to how God has promised and given His faithfulness to us. It can kind of be discouraging for us to think about our own responsibility before the Lord. Can it not be? Uh, it is. And He's reminded us of that human responsibility. That you grow in spiritual maturity. Which if you never began to mature as a Christian, there's a good chance you never were saved to begin with. There's no such thing as, as putting it in park. Uh, it, it just doesn't happen in Christian living. If you're not bearing fruit for the cause of Christ, and there's a good uh, understanding that you don't know the Lord, and obviously if you're an apostate and you leave the faith, then you never had it to begin with. Hebrews 6 is the quintessential text that 
charismatics and others bring forward to say you can lose your salvation. I totally disagree. Absolutely not. What it's talking about in 6, 1 through 4 is apostates. You know, you only need look at the parable of the soils to figure this out. Sometimes the word hits people that are crowded in their life and they have more allegiance. They're, not, they're just wanting Jesus as another fix, but they don't really trust Him as Lord. There are diff, there's four different categories of soul, soils that the word reaches. Inevitably, the one that is saved is the one that receives the word. You can look like the real thing, smell like the real thing, but not be the real thing. And so there are apostates that fall away. And so we, we think about this responsibility on our part. And yes, you do have it. But here's a question that comes up. Is it all up to us? When we think about the warning signs that the writer of Hebrews gives us, they're blinking. They're caution lights to warn us. And folks, you dare not take the teeth out of the warning. These warnings are designed to draw blood. It's going to cut your skin. Why? Because it's so vitally important that you understand that those who actually persevere are the ones that will go to heaven. But you ask the question, well, is it up to me? He, doesn't want you to he does want you to contemplate the seriousness of our responsibility. But he doesn't want you to feel insecure. So in verse 13, he turns back to God's faithfulness. He turns back to the basis of our security and our perseverance. So the purpose of this passage today is going to be to press upon your mind and your heart God's desire and purpose for us to have a strong encouragement to those who hold fast and do not drift away. It offers uh, people a, a secure anchor for those who would want to listen to the world. Folks, we got believers today that were in positions of leadership across the U.S. that are falling like flies. And the, you know why it's happening? It's because they're listening to the world and not the Bible. They're not listening to the truth. So this is a real reality. God wants you to have full assurance of hope, not a weak, flimsy hope. He encourages them to be imitators of someone, imitators of someone whose faith and perseverance inherit the promises. And who were these people? They were the Old Testament saints. So if you've read the book of Hebrews, you know that the writer continually brings up these Old Testament saints who by, uh, we see the faithfulness of God in them, but we also see them persevering to the end. And he's going to use Abraham today as the number one understanding of that. But in chapter 6, verse 12, it anticipates chapter 11, which is called the Hall of Faith, right? But 6.12 anticipates, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Who were these people? The Old Testament saints that you find in chapter 11. So, it's an impressive list of saints whose faith and patience is worthy of our emulation. So the author charges readers to face their difficulties with faith and perseverance, just as those Old Testament saints faced their difficulties with faith and perseverance. It is only through faith and patience that we will inherit the promises. That's the teaching of this particular text. We must maintain assurance. And how do you do it? Through, you do it through diligence. Drifting is deadly, church family. You all can think about people who used to be in, you thought, the faith, but they're now gone. Drifting is deadly. God, however, is working to keep that from happening, happening to the real heirs of promise. Did y'all catch that? If you're an heir of the promise, 
which is ultimately in Jesus Christ, your forerunner, who has gone before you behind the veil to secure your salvation, then, ladies and gentlemen, you are absolutely 100% secure this morning. You are an heir of the promise. So we maintain that assurance through diligence that we know we're heirs of the promise. So that's where verses 13 and 20 begin for us. He wants us to have strong encouragement. He does it in two ways. I only have a two-point sermon. I feel like I'm cheating you, right? But here it is. Here's the first way you understand the security of your souls. First, the security of our souls rests in the Father's promise. And in verses 13 through 18, we see this clearly. God made a promise to Abraham. He's given us an example. In other words, God has kept his promise in the past. And ultimately, the heirs of promise began with Abraham and proceeded forward to all of Abraham's descendants. How, can, how and where can you read this? In Matthew chapter 1, it's called the genealogy of Christ. And you look at these guys and they look, and ladies, and they look a whole lot less than a real hall of faith, don't they? Blunder after blunder after blunder. But the fact of the matter is, God's faithfulness won the day even though you had unfaithful people. And so here we have Abraham. Here, here you need to understand first, an oath in ancient Israel was much different than the oaths that we take today. An oath in the ancient day was not a contractual thing as we would think about an oath today. They were not sealed with a physical signature. Ancient Israelites sealed their oath by a personal word of the integrity of the person. And this is the nature of our God as he takes an oath with Abraham. And that's the basis of the focus when you get to Hebrews 6, 13 through 18. He is focusing upon the promise and oath of God that he himself made. And that's the nature of it. God is an oath-taking God who seals his oaths with his own words and for and by his own name. So the context of verse 13 really comes from Genesis 22, 16 through 17, where the Lord says to Abraham, By myself I have sworn, and also I promise to greatly bless you and to multiply you. That's the foundation of his argument in order to encourage us today as heirs of promise regarding the faithfulness of our God. So God swears by himself because there's no one greater to swear by. He swore by himself that he would do these things. This is, in fact, why human beings invoke the name of God when they take an oath in a court or receiving an office, uh, such as the presidency, which I think that is going to be fast going away. Right? It's just a matter of time before this happens. But by swearing by, uh, by, swearing by his own name, God absolutely guaranteed the fulfillment of the promise. So Abraham then waited patiently and obtained the promise. You see the connection? God swore by his own name and he declared publicly for all creation that he was making a pledge to Abraham and that God would keep that promise. So the first heirs of promise, it was Abraham and it was Abraham's descendants. And in order to show the certainty of his trustworthiness, of his promise, God sealed that promise by an oath. Now the question this morning is, what does that promise to Abraham have to do with us this morning sitting in FBCO in, in uh, 2019? What does, the, 
What does the promise have to do with Abraham, with uh, the writer of Hebrews' audience at that present time, which was removed a long time from that, some 2,000 years? For them, the heirs of promise, for us, the heirs of promise, are those who have been adopted by faith in Christ Jesus as sons and daughters of God. That is the connection. We share in Abraham's promise. I don't have time to read it, but look back at Hebrews chapter 2, 5 through 18. And the writer is going to labor to show that if you are in Christ Jesus, you are actually, and Hebrews will say this, uh, about looking forward and looking backwards. And the fact of the matter is, you are an heir of promise with Abraham if you are in Christ Jesus. If you're lost today, then you're not an heir of the promise. The two unchangeable things that the author mentions in verse 18 refer to the irrevocable nature. Think about this, folks, of God's purpose and His Word. And the oath is something that you declare publicly. So God declared His promise and made it with an oath. And because the Bible says here that it is impossible for God to lie. Here's the deal, folks. God never deviates from the truth in those two unchangeable things. God would cease to be God if He lied. But God cannot lie. He can hold, he can hold firmly, but Abraham could hold firmly. You can hold firmly because of the unchangeableness of the nature of our God. Because God's word is true. It's impossible for our God to lie. We have all the confidence in the world and you can take it to heart and you can trust God. Why? Because God promised it to Abraham and he promises it to you. And by two unchangeable things, God cannot lie. He did it by a promise and an oath. The faithfulness of God, ladies and gentlemen, and the certainty of his promises, it's not some kind of theoretical proposition. When we think about the promise and certainty of God, these are unchangeable realities. Folks, God cannot lie. Just like Abraham, you can stake your life upon the faithfulness of God. He cannot and will not lie. You need only look at the genealogy of Christ to figure that out. Man, that thing looks rough. You would not even want that to be your family tree. But the fact of the matter is, the God who created this world and controls all things is a faithful God who can take pathetic losers like me and you and plug us into His family tree. And that's awesome. It's about the faithfulness of God. What a display of transgenerational faithfulness. The same God that spoke to Abraham and said, you're an heir of the promise and I'm banking my integrity upon the fact that I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do is the same God that makes you that promise today. Transgenerational faithfulness. It should give you hope this morning. What God did for others, He'll do for you. If you're an heir of the promise. Here's what we know about God taking an oath. Our God is eternal, being ever-present to fulfill what He has promised, right? He is omnipotent. That means He has limited power to fulfill the promise. While all of life begins to shift beneath our feet, I think it's worse in our country than it's ever been before, God remains the true source of stability. What are you trusting in today? I mean, they're doing the summit, are they not? And they're trying to figure out how America can make more money through trade. Or how we can stop losing money through trade. And we've got our opinions on what that means. But I'm telling you, no matter what they find out at the summit, you can't find stability in our country. Not ultimately. Your stability has to be in the God of eternity, who controls all things. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. 
He, he knows all things. He controls all things. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. No power exists that can shake the fulfillment of God's oath that He has made to His children. You only need to read Romans 8, 35-39 to figure that out. Neither height, nor depth, nor any other thing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? Nothing can shake that. Allow me now to address two things concerning this one point. And you knew I would do this, right? The fact that we're secure. Our security is based upon the Father's promise. Let's say one word about hope, because that's brought out here. Uh, when you think about a promise, you readily begin to think about hoping in the promise, right? Well, we live in a world that's in great despair. Over 250,000 people attempt suicide in one given year. We live in a day where recent studies indicate that there's an explosive increase in depression and hopelessness within our society. Just think about the Hollywood movie stars who categorically every single year look like they're at the top of the world and they kill themselves. You can, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and therefore forfeits his soul? We see and look at this world from a different dynamic. We look at it through a lens of a Christian worldview if you're saved. And we see the progression of hopelessness and despair. Naturalists believe that life is found in the, here, in the old nasty here. Right? Where you just endure it. And there's no God and there's nothing that's going to be able to be done about it. But the book of Hebrews gives us a new perspective, doesn't it? Life is more than what you can see immediately. Aren't you thankful for that? It's more than the difficulty that's just around the corner for every one of us that can come. God offers us a wealth of spiritual blessings inherited in Christ Jesus when He's your Lord. Those spiritual resources are assessed, assessed, listen to this, as we trust God's Word and build our lives upon it. You're not going to sense these resources and, and the inheritance that God has given to you if you're not obeying His Word. you got to trust the Lord. That's why the writer is saying, do it with diligence. Believe that God, believe what God said. Know that He's faithful and trust His Word. But I want to remind you that we play a part in life. A life that's full of meaning and lasting. And if you're here today and you're contemplating suicide, I'm going to tell you that the thief cometh not but to kill, steal, and destroy. Only Jesus can give life. Right? And He gives you a wealth of things that this world cannot offer you. You can't buy them here. Uh, the inheritance He gives us is indestructible, undefiled, and fades not away. And it's reserved in heaven for you. Check this out. The inheritance is not even heaven. It's reserved in heaven for you. It's the locker that holds your inheritance. And God has promised you this. So our current circumstances can never adequately define who we are or what we are about in this world that we live in. This quality of hope breeds hope. Hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. It is confident expectation in the faithfulness and promise of God. When God makes a promise by two unchangeable things and wherein God cannot lie, you can take it to the bank. You are secure if you are an inheritor of the promise. Assurance. Now I want to say something about patience. Now, is this a difficult Christian virtue? Did you know that Abraham waited two decades for the fulfillment of the son that would be in line as a descendant of Abraham to carry on the blessing? 
We live in a hurry-up, type-A, charge-ahead culture. Yet waiting patiently, Father Abe received the promise. Patiently. We live in an instant credit, get-everything-now economy. We eat, add water, and mix foods. Right? Or drive-by fast food outlets, which poke our palates with immediate delicacies. Big Mac, Quarter Pounder. Somebody, oh, you're making you hunger, right? I've learned at this church, all I need to do is say Godfathers, and I'll see 50 of y'all there after church. But all this trains us to want what we want now on the basis of something that requires little or no effort. Young people, y'all listen to this? We don't grow trees in our yards anymore. We go and buy them half-grown. Potted trees. We place them in our yard, and we see the growth, but the growth is when you stick it in the ground is several years advanced. Not a whole lot of patience with that. Why? Because waiting is out of style. Now here's the deal. If God were not growing sons and daughters, things would not take nearly as long. But God is more concerned about your growth in Jesus than your getting things. He's way more concerned about your growth. What's it profit if you gain the whole entire world? Gain, gain, gain. But you lose your soul. Our God doesn't traffic in add water and mix saints. It doesn't happen. It's never happened. God has a purpose for putting you in His waiting room. Some of you have been waiting a long time for certain prayers that you've prayed. Perhaps you've been waiting a long time for certain things to, to happen in your life. And you, but God's got a different timing than you do. Furthermore, he's trying to build patience with you. Abraham waited two and a half decades to see the birth of his promised son. That's a long time, isn't it? That was even a quarter almost of Abraham's life. For you, it's more than a quarter on average if you make it to 70, right? I want to remind you that if there is a pause in the manifest activity of our God, it's always for a purpose. He is sovereign. Some things can only be learned in God's waiting room. But you need to wake up enough to trust God and believe His Word. You need to be in tune enough with the Lord to stop and wait and hope in the promise of God and, and, and have some patience for what God is doing in your life. Amen? So true. Remember this is, uh, this, thus far the passage is concerned with the fact that God is faithful. Our salvation is foundation to build upon, not a shaky scaffold that you have to cling to in fear. You are heirs of the same promise. All of His promises will come true for us. And our future is firmly in the hands of our God who cannot lie. Praise God for the Father's promise. Furthermore, as He, as he speaks to us concerning those who fall away, again, to renew them to repentance, which is people who are apostate that are lost, He turns right around and says this, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we are full, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. Verse 9. Do you see that? Underscore that. That's a huge hermeneutical twist to that text that is vital for you, to under, for you to see. There will be those who fall away. But for those who are really saved, the writer says, I'm convinced of better things that accompany real salvation. Hello. Y'all listening? We're talking about real salvation, not apostate salvation. And those who are truly saved are secure in the Father's hands by two immutable things wherein God cannot lie. And all God's people said, Amen. but He's not done. 
The security of our souls rests in the Savior's priesthood. If the Father's promise is not enough, let this undergird you. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as our forerunner. Prodromos is the word in the Greek. On our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Is the writer not poignantly reminding us that we need an anchor for the soul? Do we need this? Yes, we do. He turns from the promise and the oath to another image that he hopes will stick in our minds and give us a solid assurance in the life that we live on earth. And that image is the anchor. How many times have we heard songs about the anchor? And what it speaks to us, that incredible metaphor, suggests the deepest security. And remember, between the inner and outer chambers of the tabernacle, there was a curtain. And the Holy of Holies was inaccessible. In other words, behind that curtain, we have the manifest presence of God. And you were separated by that curtain. And only once a year could the high priest enter in to the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the people. Outside of that curtain was the holy place where the altar of incense was and the golden candlestick and the table of showbread. And all of those things were devoted to the people's worship. This was the means by which God said, you can come to me. It was between those two compartments of the tabernacle that that curtain hung. And it symbolized two realities. God's presence in heaven with all of his glory and the storm-tossed church worshiping on the earth. But praise God that an anchor has been hurled from the church. God gives the anchor. But here's the difference in this anchor according to semantics in the Bible. You're not anchored downward like you would throw an anchor into the water. You're actually anchored from heaven upward. That's good stuff. Right? And that's the meaning of the text when it comes to the anchor. It symbolizes, again, uh, that anchor. It is from the throne of the Holy of Holies. And who's seated there? Jesus Christ is seated there. The anchor doesn't fall to the depths, but anchors us upward. Uh, We know just in our day how important the anchor is, but the fact of the matter is an anchorage meant security to them. Well-anchored boats, ships. Well, we know the winds could blow, but the ship would not awash. Why? Or when it's headed to the rocks, why? Because it was anchored. So that is strong encouragement. For those who have looked, look at the text, who have fled for refuge and hold on and have hope set before us. It's the future objective reality that we hope for, right? It's heaven. It's the blessed promise in verse 14. And the sum of all the good that God has sworn to you in Jesus Christ, which is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. This is the anchor of verse 19, which continues in verse continues verse 18. Look at it. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled for refuge, that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor. So 19 is continuing that thought of stability and security, but the wording is different. It's with an anchor, this time not the Father's promise. In other words, what anchors our soul is not subjective confidence. I'm so glad when I wake up every morning, if I don't feel saved, it doesn't mean I'm lost. 
It's not about my subjective feelings. You know, that's what's killing Christendom today is sermons preached with feelings and not truth. Songs written by artists who care more about feelings and fanfare and money than they do about the truth of the Word of God. Feelings go away and dissipate. They move. But the objective reality of an anchor placed at the throne of heaven in Jesus doesn't move. It's not subjective. It's objective. This is our anchor. And this is what we lay hold of. So the writer's point, point is that we are hoping, what we're hoping in is absolutely sure. And notice how he gives these three descriptions of the anchor. In verse 19b, he calls the anchor the hope. Both sure, number one. Steadfast, number two. And three, one which enters within the veil. So that anchor is sure, it is certain, and it is safe. Why? Because it's behind the veil. It is safe. The anchor is sure, certain, and safe. The anchor is steadfast, firm, and reliable. The anchor is lodged behind the picture of the veil. And again, think about this for a moment. It needs to be repeated. This veil hung across the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle. It concealed the Ark of the Covenant where God in all of His glory met with the high priest. How many times? Once a year. And what did He bring? Before He walked in, He did atonement for His own sins. Why? Because that priest was a sinner. That dude that lived next to you in your tent was a sinner just like you were, no matter if he bore the name of high priest or not. Correct? And he entered in only once a year and brought a blood sacrifice to his home for the sins of the people. He had to atone for his own sins, and then he brought in a sacrifice. So the point of saying that our hope is in the is anchor is an anchor lodged in the Holy of Holies, where God's glory dwells, is to remind you of verse 20, where Jesus has gone as your forerunner on our behalf. Do you see it? Which means you're going to enter and follow where your forerunner goes. And it's guaranteed. Prodromos is a forerunner that is sent out by an army or, or a soldier to check out how things are, knowing that others will follow him. I'm telling you folks, your Prodromos, your forerunner, is seated in heaven. At the right hand of the Father. And if you're saved today, you're going to follow your forerunner. Signed, sealed, and delivered. You are anchored by the Son of God. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. So that you may be where I am. There is no doubt that we will follow our forerunner. No doubt. He's gone before us as a high priest. Did he go in the order of Aaron and Levi? That's not the kind of high priest we had. According to the book of Hebrews, when it came to Aaron and Levi, they had to offer sacrifices for themselves and for the people. Hebrews 5.3 and Hebrews 7.27. Number two... They died and had to be replaced. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. And when they came in, they offered the blood of bulls and goats, which the Bible says in chapter 10, verse 4, could never take away sins. But I want to introduce you to the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who entered into the Holy of Holies once for all. 
with his own infinitely precious blood and his own indestructible life so that his atoning work procures your salvation forever and it's perfect and it lasts forever. That's what Jesus did. He's gone before you as a forerunner to accomplish God's required justice. We forget about this in salvation. We get all these touchy-feely things about all i got to do is trust God's plan and I'm good. Do you understand what's at stake when you trust Christ? There's no way that you could ever stand before a holy God if it were not for Jesus. His justice demanded for millenniums that the only way people could come before Him was with blood. Without a sacrifice, there's no remission of sins. Do you understand how awesome it is to know that by one act, by the Son of God, all your sins, past, present, and future, are gone and removed. And God's justice is met. How can God be both just and the justifier of men? How can He be both just and holy and yet redeem sinners? Sinners cannot be in heaven. There's no sin. The fact of the matter is, the justice of God is met by the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. The great high priest who was fully God and fully man, who lived 100% in obedience to his Father and never one time sinned, and then he took that perfect body to the tree of Calvary. So in essence, your anchor is accomplished through the work of Jesus on the cross. Aren't you thankful for the cross? Where divine justice and wrath met kissed one another. Truth and righteousness kiss one another at the cross. As our great high priest Jesus has purchased our salvation and he has assured the promises of God to us. Jesus' atoning work on the cross predicates our Christian hope and it anchors your soul in glory. Were it not for Jesus, we'd have no anchor. We'd have no hope. If our prodromos If our forerunner had not gone before us, we wouldn't have a hallelujah chance of heaven. Because he's gone before you, you're anchored in heaven. This is what verse 20 means when it says that Jesus has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek had a coalesced ministry, right? King and priest, get this. And that set him apart from any priest in Israel. And that's why... The Bible brings him up in Hebrews. Not that Melchizedek was any divine. He wasn't. Not that he was a god. We could unpack that if we was preaching through Hebrews. But he held a position of king and priest. Just like Jesus. But Jesus in a much different way. It relates to him. So, in conclusion. Our anchor. Our promised future. Is sure. Steadfast. And it is all tied to the finished work Of Jesus Christ our high priest. Do you know him today? That's why Jesus could proclaim. I am the way. The truth. And the life. There is no Catholic priest. Lutheran bishop. No one. That can give you your salvation. When anyone goes before an earthly priest. That priest better be going before someone himself. But our great high priest doesn't have a high priest. He doesn't have to have his sins confessed. He is Lord of glory. He is sinless. The only high priest you need is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't have him, you're not saved. 
Is he your high priest today? We have an anchor for the soul. Daniel Towner wrote this. I can feel the anchor fast as I meet each sudden blast. And the cable, though unseen, bears the heavenly strain between. Through the storm I safely ride till the running of the tide. And it holds, my anchor holds. Blow your wildest, then, O gale. On my bark, so small and frail. For my anchor holds, my anchor holds. Think about the great old hymn, How Firm a Foundation. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than you He has said to you who for refuge to Jesus has fled? Have you fled to refuge in Jesus? The security of our souls rests on the promise of the Father. By two unchangeable things wherein God cannot lie. And it rests upon the priesthood of our awesome Savior. Who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Who finished His work on the cross of Calvary. Rose from the dead. And has anchored your soul in heaven if you're saved. Do you have that encouragement this morning? Let's pray together. Great God, we thank you for security of our souls. We thank you for God's faithfulness. Father, for your incredible faithfulness to us. We think about our own lives and the lives of everyone under the sound of my voice in this building. Without the finished work of Jesus, we have no hope of salvation. Without your resurrection, the Bible says our faith is futile and our faith is in vain. But you have come forth from the grave. You did accomplish our salvation. And we trust the Father's word and his promise and his oath in a God that cannot lie. And we trust the Savior's finished work on our behalf. Lord, I pray that if someone under the sound of my voice is lost, Lord God, would you speak to their hearts. Just as you spoke the world into creation, you made light out of darkness. Your word reminds us in Corinthians that you shed your light in the hearts of men and women to give us a knowledge of Jesus. God, we need that. We're at your mercy. No one can change a life other than Jesus. Your spirit must draw them to yourself through your word for them to recognize who Jesus is. You must turn the light on, Father, in their mind and heart. God, would you do it? Would you quicken their souls to know who Jesus is and to seek him and to throw themselves upon him in total abandonment in the refuge of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you are a strong tower and the righteous run into you and they are safe. God, may we seek refuge in Jesus only for our salvation. Not the world. Not money. Not positions. Not security that this world can offer, which is fleeting. May we seek the security of our souls only in Jesus and Him alone. He's the only one mighty to save. He's the only God who can save. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.